Amen. I'd also like to wish you a good morning and welcome you here to Lakeside. I felt like earlier this week I was faced with a choice where it, it all happened pretty quickly, but I felt like I could have made a choice either way, and I could have justified that choice either way. I was holding my three-month-old asleep in my arms, sitting on one end of the couch, and the two-year-old was on the other end of the couch, jumping up and down. Three-month-old, sleeping peacefully, finally, in my arms, other one jumping. Tried to warn the other one, you stop jumping, you're going to fall off. Stop jumping, you're going to fall off. Sure enough, he doesn't think he's going to fall off, so he keeps on jumping, and then I can see basic physics at play, where the momentum of his body is starting to tilt off of the couch. And I had just enough time to decide. Should I risk jumping and waking up the three-month-old, saving the two-year-old, or should I keep the peace that I currently have and just let gravity take its full effect? I felt like I could have justified either one of those. And I felt like if you'd have asked me a long time ago, which you would do, I would have said, of course you'd rescue, right, the two-year-old from falling. That's, that's, there's more risk involved in that one. But knowing what it means to get fairly little sleep, you don't wake up a sleeping kid. And so I decided to just hold the three-month-old and do nothing and watch the older one fall. And uh, then the sound was so loud that I got this look from another room from Amy, like, what just happened? And then I had another choice to make. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I, it beats me, or I made it, I could have actually done something. I, I'm sorry. I, I was conflicted. about. I, I felt like I could justify it either way. Time was ticking. Gravity was having its full effect. And I feel like I made the right choice. Everyone's fine. The baby was still sleeping. But we're, we're confronted in real time with decisions that we have to make, and we aren't always sure which is the best one to do. We, we actually can justify doing a variety of things, and that creates its own kind of problems for us. Today's passage in Acts, we get three very short stories, but in each story, there's sort of a conflict that arises in part because, well, this this seems reasonable and this seems reasonable, and this seems like a good thing to do and this seems like a good thing to do. And really sincere people that are full of the Holy Spirit and love the Lord Jesus disagree on what's the best thing to do in the moment, and the clock is ticking. And so choices have to be made. Uh, I invite you to open a Bible to Acts chapter 15. We're starting in verse 36. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, you'll see we're basically going through three fairly short paragraphs. This last paragraph in chapter 15 and then the first two in chapter 16, looking at uh, three different incidences where conflict arises among people who, like I said, are just very sincere, full of the Holy Spirit, and in love with the Lord Jesus. So verse 36, this is on page 924, if you're using one of these Bibles provided for you. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia 
and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily." And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysa, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and as a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that's where we'll stop for today. It's three very different stories, but a conflict arises uh, in each of them. In the first conflict, it's a matter in a question of who. In the second one, it's a question of how. And in the third, it's a question of where. But a conflict in each of these sections. And part of it is... One of the reasons this arises is that it's just a reality of our life that choices are endless, aren't they? Choices are just endless. We have to decide about everything. I mean, tomorrow you have to decide what time you're going to wake up. So what what time are you going to set your alarm? Well, part of making that decision is deciding when you have to be somewhere and what you want to get done before you get there. Do you want uh, enough time to kind of wake up slowly and have a cup of coffee or do a bit of a quiet time or a prayer time? All of those are decisions you have to make. And if you say to yourself, no, I don't want to make any of those decisions. I'm just not going to set an alarm. Well, that is a decision. And then when you happen to sleep longer than you thought and you realize, oh no, now I can't get everything done today that I thought I was going to do. So what do I leave out because I don't have enough time anymore in the day to do the things I want to do. And then when you feel that crunch, you say, okay, so am I going to try it the same way tomorrow or am I going to adjust something? But the choices are endless. We, we always have to make decisions. And even at times when we try to pull back and just say, I'm not going to decide anything, that is itself a decision. And so because of that, there is a way in which at every one of those points where a choice has to be made, conflict can arise. Should we do this or should we do that? Just think about how easy it is for your whole family to decide where they want to eat if you guys decide you're going to go out to eat. Or if you say, hey, we have the day off. What are we going to do today? I want to do this and you want to do that. We have different ideas, different um, perspectives on the very same thing. Well, as it relates to conflict and when they arise, one of the perspectives of the New Testament is that we also have endless choices in how we will allow conflicts to affect us. So the, the, the infinite number of choices often leads us into conflict, but once we're there, we also get to choose how this conflict might or might not affect us. We can choose that through the conflict, we become a little bit more cold-hearted, a little bit more bitter because we're frustrated by the conflict that has arisen, or we can choose 
that this conflict might be a way in which we grow and develop and become more and more like our Savior, God's Son, Christ Jesus. But we actually get to make a choice when conflicts arise about how they will affect us. Almost none of us like it. It's just natural. There, there's, there's none of us, uh, very, very few would be prone to conflict. We, we resist it. We don't want it. We don't like it. And so oftentimes one of the ways we avoid it is just by maybe not voicing our opinion and not saying what we really think. But when conflicts arise, there is a way in which they give us an opportunity an opportunity to grow and mature and develop in a way that we might not have had these things not happen. Because it's very easy when everything is going great to just assume everything is going great because you're doing the right thing or this is going on and it's when conflicts arise, whether we're the fault of them or not, that it just has a way for most of us of getting us to ask questions that we should just ask more often, but we don't. You know, is there something I am doing that's contributing to this? Is there, is there a way? Is there anything in my life that I could get rid of? I, I'm, even if I'm not to blame, this is clearly frustrating. We're in this season. I don't see a way out. And so should I be spending more time in prayer? Should I? We start to ask the kinds of questions that could actually lead to growth and greater maturity in our life that we don't usually ask when everything is just going great and the weather's exactly like we might enjoy it. And part of this is what plays out now in these stories, that at each point, it's the need to make decisions that creates the conflict. But then also, once they get there, we see the choices that they have to make. So in the first, Paul and Barnabas, they're back in Antioch. They've announced the good news last week of the decision of the Jerusalem Council, that the Gentiles do not have to become Jews in order to be a part of the church. And while they're there, Paul says to Barnabas, let us return, go back to the cities where we proclaim, basically, let's reroute the first missionary journey and just see how everyone is doing. And Barnabas says, sure. Here's another idea. When we do that, let's get John Mark to come back with us. And it says, Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So here they are, Paul and Barnabas, two incredibly godly men filled with the Spirit, in love with Jesus, and they actually agree in what they want to do, but they disagree about who should be involved. Barnabas wants to include John Mark, and Paul says, I just don't think that's a good idea. So while we're given the details of what they disagreed about, the way that Luke unfolds it for us is that he doesn't go out of his way to say that one of them was right or one of them was wrong. And you can read a whole bunch of commentaries' opinions on which one was right or wrong, but actually I think in part the reason it just highlights it and then moves on from it is that you can make a case that both of them have a reasonableness to what they're saying. I mean, Barnabas could have said, well, Paul you don't think John Mark's a good fit for the journey. I'm the one who came to Tarsus and invited you to Antioch. I mean, this is just what I do. I invite people along into the ministry who other people say, I'm not totally sure about that guy. That's, that's one of my gifts. I'm the encourager. I bring people along 
and, and, and help them discover that in spite of past mistakes, in spite of past sins, they have a place in the kingdom and they can serve effectively for Christ. And then you can understand Paul saying, do you remember how many times we got beat up and got kicked out of a city? Like we don't, what you're talking about is sort of a long-term strategy, but we're going to be faced with immediate and difficult decisions. And we need to know that the people on our team can handle that, that they don't desert us in the, in, in the very time when we need them most. This is risky business. And so there, there's nothing wrong with what Barnabas desires to do in bringing John Mark along, and there's nothing wrong in Paul's perspective to say, but I'm just not sure that we can do that kind of ministry in this kind of a context. But it is a disagreement, and it's a disagreement that requires them to make a choice, and they choose to separate. And from this amazing team, all the way up into this point of Paul and Barnabas, now two teams are created. Barnabas goes with John Mark, and then Paul finds another person in Silas, and they go on their separate journeys, both continuing to do the work of the Lord. But the choices are endless, and here, their convictions are personal. It's one of the reasons why it's it's hard at times when we interact with one another to, to see the best in, in each other. Because Barnabas would have certainly had very good reasons and personal reasons why he came to his conclusion. And the same would have been true of Paul. Last week we talked about culture as sort of embedded beliefs and the things that we just accept without really thinking about them. But here, they both have convictions and precisely because They've thought them through because of their experiences, and so here they both decide to stand their ground. They have these personal convictions, and neither one of them feels that it's appropriate to go against those convictions that they have. Because they've thought about it, they've prayed about it, and they have a different way of seeing things that will affect this trip. But rather than them having to decide who is right or who is wrong, there is the possibility that the kingdom is large enough that they can both be active and they can both act according to their convictions in different ways. And that's sort of just how it unfolds to us. And then later, in all of Paul's letters, when he identifies plenty of people who were unhelpful to him and plenty of people that deserted him, he never writes back on this and says, You know, I just hope that Barnabas comes to repentance one day. He doesn't. And he actually later says that John Mark had become very, very useful to him. And he could have that perspective many years later because when he looked back on it, though his convictions were personal and he thought them through and he felt like he couldn't go against them, he understood just the same that there were reasons for Barnabas and Mark to have their perspective and that they could separate without speaking ill of each other, but something had to give. And in God's economy, this division actually led to multiplication in that instead of now one missionary trip, two were formed. See, it's, it's a conflict that arose because they're equally passionate about doing God's work. They're both set on doing something. This isn't a conflict where because they get into a disagreement, one of them checks out and is never to be seen again, and the other one is left to pick up the pieces. No, no, no. This isn't, or or a conflict that just arises out of too much familiarity with one another and boredom. This is, 
both of them together desiring to do what God wants them to do. And God takes this and multiplies this such that they go in two separate directions. And now many, many more people will hear the gospel because they maintain their personal convictions. And that's the hardest thing to do as Christians at times is to come to your own convictions about how you want to do things, how you want to raise your family, how you want to set boundaries, because you have to think them all through, but then still be gracious to other people who have a different perspective. Because, I mean, you have to make a decision. And for me, it's just happening more and more as people ask questions, you know, hey, with your young kids, what are you guys thinking? Are you going to homeschool? Are you going to private school? Are you going to public school? What are you going to do? Well, we're going to form an opinion at some point in time, but one of the easiest things to happen in Christian communities is that one of those perspectives overtakes and seems to be a dominant way of doing things. Because we formed our opinion and we usually have reasons for it, and so then we have a way of potentially making people that don't share our same opinion that they're bad or they're sub-Christian or they're less holy than we are. And the arguments can be made all across the board. But to preserve an environment where you say, no, 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 look, we believe all of us here are loving our children, and depending on a whole variety of circumstances, you might choose to do this, you might choose to do that, you might choose to do that, but as a body, we should be a safe place to have a different perspective and opinion on how to do those things. And that no one group gets to make another group feel like they're less spiritual or less Christian because of what they decided. But when sin gets into our life and gets into our hearts, we can take these convictions and differences of opinion and always add to them either overly moral or spiritual elements to say, oh, well, yeah, you believe that because you don't care about the loss and you just want to separate from people. And, I don't know, you believe that because you're just afraid of the world and you don't believe. We can add all kinds of things that make it complicated and, and, and harm relationships with one another if we're not careful in continuing to grow ourselves and mature ourselves and who we are in Christ to realize, look, if there were things that Paul and Barnabas, these two great first missionaries, could realize they had differences of perspective on, of course that should be true in the life of us in the church. We'll have, as the phrase therefore is often common, the devil is in the details, right? There are certain things we can agree on in general, but when we have to really break it down and say, so what are you going to do tomorrow? Where are you going to invest your money in this way or this way? We might come to differences of opinion. But hopefully we can maintain above that a love for one another, a care and a concern for one another that allows for that kind of a freedom. This next section, the first paragraph in chapter 16, it's, it's, it's interesting. Paul and Silas now go to this uh, new city they meet this young man named Timothy who's well spoken of by all the brothers and sisters. And Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Greek father and Paul is hopeful that Timothy will now join his team and become part of an active missionary endeavor. And so as Paul is thinking about it, he knows that part of his pattern is every time he goes to a city, he usually goes to the synagogue first, speaks to the Jews, and then speaks to the, to the rest of the city. And he's thinking about it and says, you know, Timothy, he has a Greek father. Everyone will know that. So they'll know he wasn't circumcised because he's not Jewish. And I don't want that to be a barrier to the ministry going forward. And here's an example of where circumstances are unique. Here's another time where conflicts arise. A lot of times, once we finally make choices, we feel compelled by them that we always have to make the same choice then in every circumstance. 
And, and people will tell us that too, you know, if they see us do something differently. Well, when so-and-so asked you to do this, you said this, and now so-and-so, and you're doing it differently. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, okay. So I always, I have to make the same decision every single time I'm confronted with a question. Well, here is an example where Paul is saying, these are unique circumstances. He just in chapter 15, bless you, traveled back to Jerusalem with other people to say, we cannot impose this upon people. We got people showing up to services saying, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Paul himself comes to Jerusalem and says, we can't do that. Now here's Paul with Timothy. And Paul's thinking, but I think we should do this. I think in this instance, we should do this. And it actually says to us, so he does it. He takes Timothy, he circumcises him. And then in verse 4, it says, As they went their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So what that means is, he makes that decision, and then they go around telling everyone else how they don't have to do what he just did. Because that was the decision that was made in Jerusalem. The decision that was made was that that is not a requirement for anyone who participates in the church. Okay, Paul, so why did you do that to Timothy? And it's a theme all throughout Paul's letters, is that for Paul, yes, there are things we want to maintain, there's freedoms we want to keep, but simply because I don't have to doesn't mean I'm not willing to. Paul says it in Corinthians, that he was willing to become all things to all people. And so he could look at it and say, there's no contradiction between arguing that everyone does not need to do this. Timothy doesn't even need to do this. But because of the specific mission and goal that I'm going to ask him to accompany, I'm going to make him do it. I'm going to ask him to do it. Because this will create the the least amount of barriers when we make our missionary trips to the very people that we are trying to reach. And that's what love does. Love says, "I, I know I don't have to, but yes, in this instance, I'm willing to. And, and that's, again, something that's just so difficult for us at times to, to accept that, yeah, you yeah, know, I don't have to do that. We might even think it's someone else's job to do it, but wow, wouldn't it just happen a lot faster if I did it? <laughs> um, if, if I didn't just keep the argument going about who's supposed to, and I just did it. I mean, I can remember, it's amazing when you're asking a, a group of kids, so these are not my own, this is just experiences from years ago, uh, in teaching in various settings, you know, when it's cleanup time, and you say, okay, everyone's going to help clean up. All of a sudden, everyone has an amazing memory about what mess they did or did not create, right? So that if you say, can you go grab that? I didn't put that there. Wow, you know for sure that you didn't put that there. I did not put that there. No. Okay, but this will all go a lot faster if everyone just says, I'll grab something, you grab something, we all grab something, we'll be done amazingly quickly. But you just see this sense of, no, no. I don't have to do that. I didn't make that mess. Well, we're not now going to start a trial and call witnesses together to see who did this or not. It's, it's something that's good for everyone. And so is there a way that I can persuade you to do it? Not because you have to, but just because it would be better to do it. It, it would be better. We'd all save a lot more time. Our tone of voice would stay calm if we all just did it. And here's a situation where he's looking at Timothy and he says, this is something that he's willing to do. Not because he has to, 
And so it depends on the group of people that you're trying to reach or the circumstances you're trying to grow. Uh, I had the opportunity a couple times, um, just a synagogue really close to our house to attend a service on a Saturday. And I realized, you know, I, is it going to be super obvious that I'm, I'm not a member of the community and uh, this isn't my, my, my home place for gathering for worship? And in that context, it's a fairly conservative synagogue. So it was because I didn't have anything to put on my head in entering the service, which I was supposed to. And I didn't look for one ahead of time. I, you know, I thought maybe you know, that'll just be okay. And I don't even know how to attach it anyway or keep it on. So what's... But I sat down and someone pretty quickly sat next to me and said, here you go. And I thought, yeah, I'm a guest here. I don't believe I have to do this. But I didn't have to come here either. So if I decided to come here and I'm going to participate in this two hour long, I better not be offending everybody the whole time I'm here. And so I have it, and I still have it at home if I ever need it again in the future. But no one has to say, well, don't you know you don't have to do that? But what, what sense would it possibly make to be offending the entire group of people and, and not allowing them the freedom to worship um, because of my unwillingness or the protest to say, well, I don't have to. And here... We, we don't get any, I mean, I'd love to know what was said between them when Timothy found out what Paul was going to make him do, but there's, there, there's nothing. It's just, a, yeah, I, I'm not going to tell you you have to, and one of the things you're going to do the moment we're done is you're going to go around and tell people you don't have to. But we also want them to discern that when there are times and seasons that it's appropriate, circumstances are unique, and if what love requires in this moment is that you do what you do not have to do, that you embrace that, that you embrace that, that circumstances are unique. And then here again, this, this next section. Um, now, Timothy, Paul, Silas, they want to go into Asia in verses 6 through 10, and it says that the spirit of Jesus, verse 7, did not allow them. Now, we don't know what that means. Like, did they just show up and the ride that they were waiting for wasn't there, and so they're just stuck um, was, did they not have enough funds to pay for the, we don't know specifically what it means, but now they're all in agreement of what they want to do. They're in agreement of where they want to go, but they're prevented from being able to do it. And then it says in a vision at night, Paul sees someone from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul saw the vision immediately, they decided to go there, concluding that God had called them to preach. So here, a conflict arises about where. And this is one of the ways that we know if the conflicts in our lives are really a result, in, is what James chapter 3 and 4 would say, from our own selfish desires and ambitions, because that, that's a whole area where conflicts come from, or if they're just part and parcel of life. That if this was just about Paul's ego or Paul's pride or his goals and what he wants to do and how he wants to build the ministry, well, at, all, at each of these points, he could have just retired <laughs> and just said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. But at each point, his ability to continue in the work of the Lord demonstrates that he sees these conflicts not as a signal that he's doing the wrong thing or supposed to stop doing what he's doing, but just the entire time he's open to God to say, okay, if this door is closed, what door would you like me to have to go with? 
if this person, if we're not the best fit for working together, who would you like me to work with? But I'm not going to work alone. I need other people to work with me. And I'm going to keep working. You have called me into this ministry. And so once he sees this vision and this door is open, he concludes that God has called him to go forward to preach this message. And it's just one of the beautiful reminders that in all of this, Christ is sovereign. That Christ, who is head of the church, is sovereign over all the workings of the church. And he knows how to make division lead into multiplication. He knows how to change people's hearts so that even when they realize there are things they don't have to do, they're willing to do them. And he knows how to direct people that when he wants them to go left and they're thinking to go right, he can take care of that. Because he hasn't just given to us the responsibilities of the church and said, you, you just go run with it. No. Nope. He also has plans. He has purposes. And he will allow whatever it requires in our lives and in our hearts to get us to where he wants us to be in his purposes and his, his, in his plans. Because he loves his church. And he has guaranteed that it will always move forward. This very short section is quite an amazing the results of it are amazing in human history that they no longer going into Asia turn towards Europe and that then missionary endeavors eventually lead all the way to Rome such that within 300 years Christianity is now widespread throughout the empire of which we are now the beneficiaries precisely because something happened, we don't know what, that stopped them in their plans to go further into Asia and instead turn them towards Europe. This isn't just sort of a historical fact. This is from whence we come. That this, this impacts our story. That God would direct them in this way and find people to do all the various things he has called them to. And so that brings us to our quote at the back of the handout. The Bible teaches us that we should see conflict not as an inconvenience, but rather as an opportunity to demonstrate the presence and power of God. Here in each situation, we can see where conflict arises, but we can see that Christ 